This morning I reread the ending of each of the four Gospels and I was struck by all the emotions that took place that first Easter. Listen to Mark chapter 16 verse 8 after watching that. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. Indeed, the resurrection changes everything. Many years ago, my wife Beth and I, along with our young daughters, were missionaries in Mexico. And I met an engineer who worked for a company. His company designed and maintained sewage treatment plants. And to get to know him better, I asked if I could tag along one day when he traveled to a town that was having some problems with their wastewater system. I'll never forget that day. Because as we drove up to the facility, I was immediately overcome by the stench of raw sewage. It took my breath away. It made my eyes water. I mean, it was all over the ground. I mean, flies were buzzing around, and it was extremely hot, very gross. And my friend explained to me that since the system wasn't working, they were unable to treat the wastewater, so it was just overflowing and dumping on the ground. And unfortunately, we spent the entire day there. Now, with that image in your mind, imagine this sewage represented all of the world's accumulated wickedness. All the lies and all the pride, all the adultery, all the gossip, all the broken promises, all the greed, all the murder, all the bitterness, all the hatred, all the crime, all the cursing, all the lust, and every foul thought. And now picture a river of filth flowing nonstop only to be replenished by an ever-growing cascade of additional evil done every day. Now, you may wonder what all of that has to do with Easter. Well, I hope to show you that it has everything to do with Easter. I want to draw our attention this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's a chapter in the Bible which contains the most extensive treatment of the resurrection ever written anywhere. And we see four facts of the Christian faith. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of God's word as I read it. Stand if you're able. And I'll be reading beginning in verse 3. We like to remind ourselves that this is no ordinary book. This is inspired. It's inerrant. And it's authoritative. And God has a message for us today. I'll begin reading in verse 3. For I delivered to you as a first Importance. Now that should get our attention. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. You can be seated. Thank you. 
Now, the good news of the gospel is of first importance, meaning it's the chief priority. Or if you were going to rank things, it is at the very top. It's the superlative. In other words, everything hangs on these truths. We could summarize the power of the resurrection this way. Because Jesus is alive, you can experience new life through the new birth. And these facts of the gospel are introduced by the word that, which can be translated as because or for this reason. Notice number one, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. The death of Jesus, well, it's incontrovertible. There is no historical dispute that Pilate had Jesus of Nazareth crucified. But I want you to observe the word for. The word for is a word of substitution. It means in behalf of or in place of or instead of. So when Jesus died, he took our place and he took our penalty upon himself. Many of the scriptures which predicted Christ's death were written over 500 years before he was even born. I'll choose just one, Isaiah 53, verse 5, but he was pierced, here's the word for again, Pierced instead, or in our place, for our transgressions, he was crushed for, in our place, our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Now, go back with me to the image of the sewage treatment plant. Picture Jesus on the cross with all of the accumulated stench of not only your sins, but the sins of the whole world since the beginning of time. Picture the wickedness of the entire world poured out on Jesus, cascading over him. Now, my guess is some of you are recoiling at that. I mean, that's like repugnant. But let me suggest the reason why some of us do is we have a couple misunderstandings. You see, we don't fully comprehend the wretchedness of our own rebellion. Misunderstanding number one, we overestimate our goodness. Most of us think we're doing pretty good. We're not all that bad, right? And well, sure, we mess up once in a while, but man, our sinfulness isn't really all that sinful. I mean, especially compared to other people, right? I mean, their sins stink. I mean, not ours. So we overestimate our goodness. But we had a second issue, a second misunderstanding. We underestimate God's holiness. Friends, God is utterly holy. He is perfectly pure. And he finds sin repulsive. And he cannot and will not lower his standards and begin grading on a spiritual curve. He does not tolerate sin, and he must therefore punish it by enforcing 
the penalty. No, I can't wait to share some good news with you today. Here's the good news of the gospel. Get this. In the middle of the stench of sin, in the middle of our darkness and our desolation and our despair, you and I can be delivered. God is holy. He will not tolerate sin. God is just and therefore must judge sin. And since God is love, he's designed a way where his justice can be fully satisfied. You see, sin always exacts a payment. Either Jesus bears your sin or you do. And since the father turned his face away from his son when he took our sin, he will certainly turn away from every sinner who refuses to be washed by the blood of his son. The wrath of God will either fall upon you or upon the sinless substitute. If anyone goes to hell, it's despite what Jesus has done. You see, he died in your place. He has paid your penalty. This is such good news. He took the blow. He absorbed every one of your smelly sins. But it's not automatic. You have to accept that, receive that payment on your behalf. I'm reminded of something Oswald Chambers once said. All heaven is interested in the cross of Christ. All hell, terribly afraid of it. While men and women are the only beings who more or less ignore its meaning. Friends, because Jesus is alive, you can experience new life through the new birth. Number two, that he was buried. See, it's easy for us to move quickly from Good Friday to Easter Sunday morning and skip the fact that Jesus was buried in a tomb. And the doctrine of the burial of Christ is often ignored or avoided, but we must not neglect it. It's important to include the burial of Jesus because it shows he really died. According to all four Gospels, he didn't just pass out on the cross and then revive later. No, he didn't disappear. No, he died and his body was played in a t- placed in a tomb because he was dead. Let me just take us to one example. Matthew chapter 27 and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb, and he went away. Some of you are familiar with the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is a concise statement of what we believe. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was what? Buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Because Jesus is alive, you and I can experience new life through the new birth. Number three, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That phrase, was raised, means he is still risen with ongoing effects. Do you know the resurrection was predicted hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus? And there are a lot of passages. Uh, let me just go to one, Psalm 16, verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. 
And then we consider even the words of Jesus. Some people think, oh, it was terrible that they caught Jesus and they killed him and he died. That was awful. If he just would have been more aware, it wouldn't have happened. No, not true. Jesus predicted this would happen and it actually was set from the foundation of the world. But listen to what Jesus said at Mark 9, 31. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. Words of Jesus. Now, there are some liberal and progressive Christians right here in our community and in our country around the world who misunderstand the resurrection. They'll say, well, it doesn't really matter. Uh, It's a fairy tale. Or, Or some will say it's a metaphor for spring. Friends, the resurrection is not a redefinition of death. It's death's reversal. And the Bible is clear that Jesus actually died physically. He was buried in a tomb for three days, and he was raised back to life, never to die again. One pastor says, without Easter Sunday, Good Friday is just another Friday. So because Jesus is alive, you, I mean like you personally, can experience new life through the new birth. Notice next, number four, that he appeared. The word appeared means to be seen, to look over. The early Christians believed Jesus had been risen from the dead because they saw him alive with their own eyes. And the strongest proof Jesus rose from the dead is that there were 515 eyewitnesses who saw him on 12 different occasions. Oh, would you consider with me Acts chapter 1, verse 3. He, meaning Jesus, presented himself alive. He's like, here I am, I'm alive. To them after his suffering by many proofs. Some of you are looking for proof. Here it is, suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus gave unquestionable proof that he was alive. So after his resurrection, he appeared appeared to a woman in a cemetery. Later the same day, he walked through a closed door and appeared to frighten followers gathered in a room. In the evening, he walked side by side with two travelers out on a walk. He appeared to believers and doubters, to tough-minded people and tender-hearted souls. So when Christianity was launched, these eyewitnesses were still alive. They could be questioned. In effect, the early church could say this. If you don't believe us, you can ask those who saw him with their own eyes. Now, these four facts help us know the gospel's true. Jesus died. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. And he appeared to eyewitnesses. And they're linked together. His death is validated by his burial. And his resurrection is verified by hundreds of eyewitnesses. Here's another way to look at it. God said it according to the scriptures. Witnesses saw it according to their testimonies. Now, for some of you, my guess is even most of you, you know all this already, and perhaps your mind has been wandering during this. You're like, tell me something I didn't know. For others of you, you're not sure the resurrection really happened, and there is evidence, and we see here eyewitness testimony. But here's a bigger question that most everybody wrestles with. So what? 
How does it apply to my life? What's the relevance of the resurrection? Well, in the next section of this chapter, we're forced to deal with the ramifications of what would happen if all of this were false. What difference would it make if Jesus had not risen from the dead? If one could disprove the resurrection, the Christian faith would collapse. So seven times in verses 12 through 20, we see the word if. We're forced to consider this question. What if Jesus did not rise from the dead? Have you ever asked that question? What if? Well, for the sake of time, we're just going to consider four disastrous consequences if Christ did not rise from the dead. Number one, if there's no resurrection, our preaching is without purpose. We see this in verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, well, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. The word vain means no substance, empty, useless. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, this sermon is useless. Our service here today, services around the world, they're just a waste of time. If Jesus is not alive, then every gospel preacher's a liar. Number two, if there's no resurrection, our faith is without forgiveness. Look at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. A futile faith is fruitless because it doesn't provide forgiveness of sins. Listen, if the tomb is not empty, your faith is empty. Apart from the resurrection, there's no power. There's no power over your depravity. There's no power over death. There's no power over the devil himself. I mean, think about it. How can someone promise forgiveness of sins if he is dead in the grave? In fact, the fact Christ rose is validation for the claim his death was full and final payment for our sins. Romans 4.25 provides a summary of what Jesus accomplished, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Number three, if there is no resurrection. This life is all there is. There's nothing more. Our death is without deliverance. Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. The phrase fallen asleep is a euphemism for death. On Thursday, I went to a cemetery here in Rock Island Thursday morning, and I took my sermon draft with me, and I was reading it over in the cemetery. I was at Memorial Park Cemetery, and I also filmed a Facebook Live video there. But I went to the cemetery for a couple reasons. One is I just wanted to get in that setting as I read about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The second reason was more personal because over this last year, in a period of just a couple months, my nephew died and then my mother died and then my aunt died. And so when I'm sitting there, I'm thinking of that as well. I was also thinking ahead to Resurrection Weekend and praying for our services. And also while I was there, my mind went back to a time many years ago where Beth and I traveled to southern Illinois and we were with some friends and we found this cemetery out after a long walk. No one was taking care of it anymore. The grass had grown up. 
we went in the cemetery and we saw, here's a picture, we saw gravestones like the markers that look like headboards to a bed. And then like the slab looking like a bed itself. And, and I thought that is filled with theology because our word cemetery comes from the Greek word for sleeping place. And when you think about it, a cemetery is a sleeping place. It's a dormitory for dead people who will one day be resurrected. Why? Because Jesus was resurrected. Now, the word perish speaks of eternal misery. So if the resurrection didn't happen, this is all there is. If Jesus is not alive, death and the devil are not defeated. Faith in a decaying corpse buried somewhere in Jerusalem will not save anyone. We will never experience freedom from the penalty and power of sin. And listen, this is sad news. We will be doomed to damnation for eternity. If Christ did not rise from the dead, there is no hope of forgiveness and no heaven in our future. Number four, if there's no resurrection, then what are we even doing? I mean, our service is without significance. Verse 19, if Jesus is, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, if this is all we're living for, we are of all people most to be pitied. If the resurrection is false, we're just fooling ourselves because our faith has no foundation and skeptics will have the last laugh. We might as well, we might as well sell the church building every church building, just close the doors. If Christ had not been raised, then our gathering, our growing, our giving, and our going with the gospel, well, to use Paul's words, is to be pitied. Actually, even our morals don't matter. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-two. just a few verses later, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Unfortunately, a lot of people live like that. So we're given a clear answer to all of these ifs, seven different ifs in verse 20. This is such good news. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. This is emphatic. It reads this way, but now. So we move from if to since. Since Christ has been raised, this is the good news of Easter. Our preaching is with purpose. Our faith brings forgiveness. Our death leads to deliverance, and our service has great significance. Edgewood has go team partners all over the world. This week I read an update from a family serving in South Asia. They've been reaching out to Hindus, and they recently had the opportunity to show the Jesus film in Bengali to this Hindu family. Listen to how our missionary describes what happened. When the mob arrested Jesus in the garden, I noticed the confusion in her eyes and the furrow in her brow. This can't be happening, she whispered. When the Roman guards began to whip Jesus, the missionary writes, I noticed their eyes began to fill with tears. They shook their heads back and forth in disbelief. 
And by the time that Jesus was being nailed to the cross, we watched as each family member stared at the TV while a steady stream of tears fell down their cheeks. It shouldn't be this way, I heard them say. Everyone continued to wipe their faces as the movie continued. Jesus, maker and sustainer of the world, dead. The film portrays the story of Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb early on Resurrection Sunday. I see our friends perk up. Jesus appears to her, but she doesn't yet know it's him. Listen to what this Hindu woman said. What? He's alive again? Oh, this is what you've been trying to tell us. Look at that. He's really alive. Jesus is the victor. Jesus is Lord. Hugs are exchanged. Shining, smiling faces and drippy noses have filled our living room. She ends her letter this way. If you, like me, have spent any significant time following the path of Jesus, you may have forgotten the total brilliance of this story. It is the miracle of all miracles. And incredibly, the story continues in humanity today. In you, in me, our friends, in bustling city streets and in quiet village paths. May the centuries-old feelings of devastation and elation not be lost on us. Let me see if I can bring all this together. Through his resurrection, Jesus vindicated his claim to be the Son of God who died on the cross in our place as our substitute, paying the price for all of our repugnant sins and in the process, satisfying God's holy and righteous wrath against sin, overcoming the curse of death that has held humanity in bondage since Adam and Eve sinned. Now, because Jesus is alive, you can experience new life through the new birth. My name is Jessica Heising, and I have been a member at Edgewood for a couple of years now. I live in LeClaire, Iowa. Before I came to know Christ, there was really an absence of Christ in my life. So that's the most notable part for me is just the void. And so there are definitely um, a few very poignant defining moments in my life before I came to Christ. And the first of those moments would be the death of my mother when I was 13 years old. Um, And it was tragic and very sudden. And that left me with, you know, just circling feelings of grief, anger, depression, anxiety. I just, I didn't understand how this God who was so loving would allow this to happen. I would say the next uh, defining moment uh, in my life before Christ would be uh, my marriage to Zach here. Uh, That was to no love. We have two beautiful boys who, again, showed me another perspective of love. I'm Zach Olfers. My life before I was saved, I would say we were definitely not a religious family. We were probably the opposite of religious. 
Growing up with a lot of alcohol abuse, a lot of violence between my parents, um, never against my sister and I, just my mom and dad really liked to get after it. Before I was saved, there were definitely times when I saw what I should be doing and I went the opposite direction. Um, I became a person that you probably would like to party with and then not talk to later. And I was involved in a fight outside of a bar. Um, it was a serious fight. I paid a lot of consequences for that. It really centered me. Um, I had to I had to find out, you know, am I going to live the rest of my life being in trouble or am I going to do what's right? And I remember I had been married, found my wife. We have kids and we're living our life with two little toddlers and something was pulling at me. There was something always just missing and something inside of me was telling me to contact this, a man that I had known 12 years prior. He was a man of God. He was not shy about it. And I said, hey, you don't probably remember me. We had about five conversations 12 years ago, but I'd really like to get together and just tell you about my life. So I found Andy. We did Bible study together. He had said to me, you know, are you saved? And, you know, this is after we'd had like three or four Bible studies. And I'm like, I think so. <laughs> He's no, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you got to ask for it. You got to, you know, you got to give your life to God and confess your sins and, and, you know, the whole nine yards here. And so I did. I did it right there in a caribou coffee in Ankeny, Iowa. Families need God. And then here's me now trying to get my wife to come find Jesus. <laughs> but God put a wonderful friend in my life. Uh, her name is Jennifer Heitman. And Jen is really, she is so alive in Christ. Um, many of our conversations that we would have would be very faith-based. And she was able to very much meet me where I was. And she invited me to numerous church services here at Edgewood, and I respectfully declined <laughs> many times. Uh, and then finally, I I accepted an offer. I just figured, let's let's do this. You know, let's try to get in and out of this place before anybody can talk to me, <laughs> and then let's go get some lunch. The service, the first service that we came to, was November seventeenth, twenty nineteen. So at the December service, about a month later. Jen grabbed my hand, and I think she, she knew. She's like, do you want to be saved? And yes, I told her, yes, I do. And she said, well, let's, let's go do this. It was this complete letting go that I before hadn't, I had never been able to completely let go of this white knuckle grip that I had on this world. And in surrendering my life to Christ, I was finally able to let go. So since being saved by Christ, my worldview now is dramatically different. Um, I, I look at the world and it's broken, but I see the beautiful moments that are restored within it. I reflect back on my day in ways where, you know, I was Christ-like in ways and also ways that I was not. And where I fell short. Trying to get my family into God, trying to corral them to where they're at. Um, we're finally here. We go to church. The boys go here. They go to the children's service. Sometimes they sit with us. And 
we make it a point to talk about God and to talk about Jesus and to not have it just be something that's confined to Sunday. It's it's on every conversation topic. I mean, you could the world right now with all the things that are you watch the news. You can discuss God with your kids at any given news story because there's something in that news story that there's going to be a right and a wrong to it. And you say, "Oh, what would Jesus think about this situation, son?" You know, and and it's it's so easy now. It's great. When I'm tapped out, when I'm exhausted, when you know I don't think I have any more left to give. I am still alive in Christ. I am so, so alive in Christ. And I am grateful. I am hopeful. And I am loved beyond measure. Yeah, amen. You're probably like, man, I wish we could acknowledge Zach and Jessica. Well, it's good you came to this service because Zach and Jessica are here. Could you guys just stand? We just want to give glory to God for your testimony for what Jesus has done in your life. (laughs) Glory to God. We rejoice. Thank you. Their story makes me think of a scene from Pilgrim's Progress written by John Bunyan. Just as Christian came up to the cross... His burden loosed from off his shoulders, fell from off his back, began to tumble down the hill, and so it continued to do till it came to the mouth of the sepulcher. It's another word for tomb. There it fell in, and I saw it no more. I wonder, are you ready today to believe and to receive this gift of salvation? You see, when you do, Jesus will clean up the stench of your sins and he'll bury your burdens. Because Jesus is alive, you can experience new life right now through the new birth. My mind goes back to what Zach's friend told him. Zach's like, yeah, I think I'm saved. I hope I'm saved. And Zach's friend's like, it doesn't work that way. You can be sure you're saved right now. But you have to ask for it and then give your life to God, confessing your sins and surrendering everything to him. I like how Jessica said it. It's a complete letting go. Ponder this quote from C.S. Lewis, very perceptive. See where you find yourself here. Christianity is a statement which is, if false, is of no importance. If true, it's of infinite importance, and I better be all into it. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. So do you want to become alive in Christ and have your sins forgiven? Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, not you will might be saved, maybe, no, you will be saved. I invite you to close your eyes, just bow your head. I'm going to lead in a prayer, and perhaps the words that I'm going to say will represent where you're at today. If they are, just pray them along 
with me silently, God, I, I own the fact that I'm a sinner. I confess it. And I understand that my sins are rancid, repugnant to you, abhorrent. And I'm tired of living just for myself, seeking satisfaction and trying to find pleasure in that which won't satisfy. Lord, I have a void in my life, an emptiness. I'm consumed by it. And so right now, today, I repent of how I've been living. I turn from that way. And I know I need to be born again. Thank you for dying for my sins in my place as my substitute. Thank you for being buried. And I confess, Jesus, that you are Lord, and I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. Please save me from my sins. I surrender. I believe. I receive. I give everything to you so that I can become your child by faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.